The following podcast contains mature language and adult discussion. This week on Kayfabe, stories you're not supposed to hear. Le- are you in love, Lanny Poffo? Lanny, that's not the housekeeper that just came in the room to clean. Right? <laughs> Right, kayfabe stories you're not supposed to hear. I always solicit questions on Twitter, which you can send at any time to at kayfabe p, which is the podcast, or to uh, at kayfabe sean. That's to me. I'll see him either way. Ted Cunterblast, thank you. Asked, uh, why did you give up acting and who were the biggest names you worked with? Any stories? Well, you know, the, the acting stuff was like two phases. I started on camera and my desire was to make movies, though. I'd always wanted to be a filmmaker. I wanted to, even before it was in vogue and it was all being done on video and, you know, anyone in their grandmother could buy a camera and be a quote-unquote filmmaker i mean i had to go to school and learn it i mean we were cutting on a guillotine and using splicing tape and using grease pencils to mark dissolves that the lab would have to make now it's all done in two seconds if you don't like it you delete it and keep cutting i mean the, the computer has democratized editing for everybody i mean iMovie comes on everybody's mac now so you know an auteur um all So I was acting on camera and then I fell into the wild and woolly world of voice acting. It's called looping and it's done in a studio in post-production and it ranges from adding a voice to someone that doesn't exist like... Uh, the other end of a phone conversation. Well, when they shoot it, nobody else is talking to the actor on the phone. He's making believe he's talking to somebody. So sometimes they want some of the other end of the phone call to poke through. So they'll hire me and other loopers to come in and do stuff like that. Uh, PA calls in a, in a hospital. Well, nobody's paging Dr. Smith uh, overhead when they're shooting. They couldn't use that. So uh, we have to go in and do it. So I did everything from being answering machine messages on the girls in Sex in the City's machines to replacing Mr. Big's sex noises one time because he sounded like a bear mauling something in the woods and they wanted him to soften a little to things like there's a movie, The Reader, where I went in to voice, if nobody saw The Reader, Kate Winslet, is in it and she it's a period piece takes place in the 40s or the 30s maybe and she takes a kid in and she's illiterate woman and the kid teaches her to read in exchange for her basically banging him for the entire film i mean that's the movie so the kid was legit like 15 or 16, so they were a little creeped out by the noises he was making. They were a little young, and they didn't want to freak anybody out. So I got hired to go in and replace all of his sex noises for all of his scenes with Kate Winslet. 
was fun leaving for work that day. I said, honey, I'm going to go have sex with Kate Winslet for four hours. I'll see you later. I think Kate Winslet, you know what? In the six degrees of, of Sean Oliver game, I think I've, I, I've done many, many movies and TV shows, especially the voice. The thing with the voice work is because they call you in for stuff like that. Once you fall into that world and you kind of get known there, I could, there were years I did 20 movies and, and TV shows in the same year. So very fortunate am I for that. But, um, you know, it's the same contract as if you're in it and in makeup and sitting in a trailer for four fucking hours. So I, the minute that that work became plentiful and I could tell my agent, listen, I'm done watching my hairline and my waistline. I'm just going to voice stuff. Pay me the same anyway. So I think Kate Winslet, I think I've appeared the most in the most amount of films with her as opposed to any other actor. I think Nicole Kidman was in the lead for a while. I was the voice of her dead husband in the, in a movie called Birth. If you watch the opening credit sequence, it's like an overhead shot of him jogging, and um, you're listening to him speak in a seminar, and that's me. His name is actually Sean in the film, which was a little weird. but So there was that, and then there was The Stepford Wives, um, and I think that was it. I guess just two. But then with Kate Winslet, I know I did did a, a an HBO miniseries called Mildred Pierce and Revolutionary Road, I think it was called, where she re- she appeared with um, Leonardo DiCaprio again. So that was kind of a big deal at the time. And then then this then this one then the reader so i guess that's 3 so me and kate i guess I, I kate has the record for being in the most Sean Oliver productions i should i should spin it that way a little bit um she's she's gorgeous she's she's one of those people that like i generally don't like when you see somebody on a screen it's hard to tell how attractive they are. You got to be with the person. There's an energy thing, you know. There's they, they they look different in person, and so I've never been one to like have a favorite chick, <laughs> movie star. Like, oh my god, I love her. She's gorgeous. But um, I shared an elevator ride with Kate one of those days, and did not say, "Hey, Kate, listen. I know we've never met, but I've been banging you for four hours today." Uh, maybe today I would have done that, but you know my younger self, no. Um, but she's she's absolutely stunning. She's rather beautiful, or was at the time. We're going back uh, a few years. I'm sure she's fine now. Oh wait, no. There's another. There's a. There's a fourth. There's a fourth. There's another film. That, um, Wonder Wheel. So there's four. She she wins definitely. Wonder Wheel is a Woody Allen movie. A couple of years ago, I did that. She's in. Then Revolutionary Road, then I guess Mildred Pierce, and then and then uh, the Reader. So yeah, four for her. Um, I had a question come across Twitter. Asked me for who the biggest stars were. I, I responded on Twitter and I I put David Morse in there, which I think somebody tweeted they were happy to see. He's 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 a remarkable actor. He's most people wouldn't know him by name, but he's a great actor. And I played 
I was in two films with him that I appeared on camera in, and within a couple of years, maybe within a year, he had a TV series called Hack on CBS for a while. And uh, I played a police officer that was taking a report from him about a dead body he found in his cab. And um, so, but prior to that, I had done a film called Diary of a City Priest, where he played the lead, Father McNamee. It was a true story about a, a priest in inner city Philadelphia. And I played him for the flashbacks. So we do that deal. And he's very tall, David Morse, and I and I am not. So for the scenes where I was appearing with the other guys who were playing basketball, other priests playing basketball, I know, it's wild. Um, they stood me on apple crates, and it was a tracking shot. I had to be walking. So they built a path of apple crates for me to stand on to get that height in the frame over the person who was standing next to me. I always heard they did that to like Stallone and stuff to make him taller, but I, who knows if that's true. But um, listen, the comparisons between me and Stallone continue. Uh, I, so I did that scene. I'm walking on the apple crates. I'm, I'm supposed to be having a conversation with the, with the guy next to me, and I'm, and I'm not supposed to be staring down at my feet to prevent myself from going ass over tea kettle off the apple crates and onto my head. But so it was kind of like by feel, I would have to walk while we were tracking, while I was talking to them and then maybe steal a quick look down and see where I was. So I do that film. Then I show up on the set for hack and we get together to walk through the scene real quick to do a rehearsal and Morse looks down at me. I'm like, yeah, I, yeah, it was like a month ago. I played you in that other thing. He was like, oh, yeah, you look familiar. He probably thought I was stalking him. John Waters was quitting smoking while we were doing Cecil B. Demented was the name of the film I did with him. And throughout the entire session, in lieu of cigarettes, he had this uh, toothpick box that he was pulling toothpicks out and gnashing them with his teeth and chewing them and 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 basically tweaking out on them for this and then he would disc- he would toss it he'd discard it down by the end of the session you look down under his chair he's got I mean, it's a whole day of work right he's got it had to be a thousand toothpicks surrounding him i don't know how many boxes he had with him he kept like he would chew them They'd splinter and you drop it, and you take another one. You don't realize, like, because you know, it's, it's dim in in the, in the studio while you're recording, and he just was surrounded by toothpicks. Had great stories too. I've, John Waters had a crazy life, so people were asking, like, was the weirdest shit that people had you sign, autograph wise, and uh, people were like, did, did anybody ever like take out their dick? He's like, oh please, uh, tits, dicks, I signed those. He goes, weirdest one was somebody whipped out a colostomy bag and had me sign it. I'm not sure I would have fucking signed that, to be honest with you. Water signed it. They said, oh my God, did you sign it? He was like, yeah, I signed it. So that was that was out there. What would a wrestling fan have me sign? What's the weirdest thing a wrestling fan asked me to sign? Nothing. Books? Pictures? Listen, anyone with a colostomy bag out there, I need to get into the John Waters echelon of fame. And it's not going to happen until you whip your shit bag out and let me sign it. 
If you like listening to podcasts, you probably like audiobooks. Listen, this is the audiobook revolution now. People love to hear the stories read to them often by the authors. I always try to get ones that have the authors. And it's no different if you want to listen to my audiobooks. My audiobooks I have four audiobooks out. Kayfabe stories you're not supposed to hear from a professional wrestling production company owner. The business of Kayfabe to go inside the company I ran for oh, 12 years. Still running, I guess. Uh, Father's Blood, which is a look at uh, parents, fathers in wrestling who had to work the road simultaneous to being a parent. And also Sophie's Journal, my first novel, a psychological thriller. Audible.com, the perfect place to go for all of these. Uh, you get a free book with a 30-day trial. Make them mine. Make your free trial book one of mine. I will convince you to go further. If not, if you don't like uh, Audible, prefer iTunes, iBooks as it's now known, all my work is there. The audiobook revolution is here Check out Sean Oliver's audiobooks at audible.com, at iTunes, at iBooks. Let me tell you a story. All right, I'm here with my old friend Lanny Poffo. How have you been, my friend? Oh, I'm doing very, very well. Thank you for asking, and... Uh... When you say my old friend, we do go back, don't we? Well, you know what? You came on a show called Breaking Kayfabe that we did with Kayfabe Commentaries. And um, I hadn't interviewed you prior to that. and uh, But I knew you were a good subject. And in the course of that interview, um, of course, we touched on Randy but most specifically, that interview made waves because of the Hall of Fame discussion we had. Now, Randy had not been invited into the Hall of Fame to that point. And I kind of innocently asked you, why the hell not? And boy, did that open up a shitstorm, huh? Yes, it did. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me just uh, refresh your memory. Um, Randy died on... Um May the 20th of 2011. And then right before um, WrestleMania in Miami, um, John Laurinaitis called me and asked me if it would be okay to put Randy in the Hall of Fame. And I said, Randy's specific instructions were to go in as the Popple family, just like the year before the Von Erics were in. Right. And he, he felt that um, both Chris and... Um, Chris and uh, Mike, Mike, yeah, were, were not uh, Hall of Fame worthy as as Fritz, Kevin, and Kerry were, and David. Um, they said you thought the four were good and the two were bad, you know. And uh, no, should come as no surprise to your listeners. A lot of people felt that um, Chris and um, Mike uh, got in because of their last name, not their first name. So um, he says, my God, Lou says is in the Hall of Fame. Johnny Valentine's not in the effing Hall of Fame. How these guys, these kids get in the Hall of Fame, and they commit suicide while their mother was alive. You know, that's what, how can you commit suicide while your mother was alive? Right. 
you're a selfish man if you do that, you know? Right. So, you know, can you imagine the pain? Um, you know, it's like a very selfish person. So anyway, um, that was, so that didn't get over, I guess. And then, you know, you would, um, when I did the interview with you, it preyed on my mind. And then when I turned 59 years of age, I realized that I was only hurting the fans. So I, so I told my mom, I said, I've got to put Randy in the Hall of Fame. She says, no, you can't do it. These were Randy's um, wishes. And I said, hey, I, what about my wishes? I was the youngest. And I didn't get my wishes ever. You know? Hmm. And uh, I said, these are for the fans. You know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one or the, the, the few or the one. So um, from Spock. So that was my reasoning. And um, all the fans of the Macho Man are very, very happy that um, I did it my way. Yeah. Uh, by T- being the older brother, I get to make all the unpopular decisions now. Take me through the Hall of Fame process, the the weekend, the, the shows. I assume when you get out there, they're very happy to see you, very complimentary towards Randy, the whole WWE crew, I mean. Everybody was nice, and I ran into Pat Patterson, and he said, Lanny and, well, see, first let me just say, I had three missions. Go to San Jose, accept the Hall of Fame, uh, and do the speech and go home. I didn't. I wasn't there to fight with certainly not Pat Patterson, but he he said, "Randy, I'm sorry about the um, battle royal that your father wasn't in, but he totally was oblivious to it. He took no blame for it. He said it was an oversight, and I wanted to be honest with your people." And I wouldn't be doing this. Let, let me just go back. I was, um, I'm a very big follower of Dr. Wayne Geyer, and he says there's no such thing as a justified resentment. But I'm going to make an exception in your case <laughs> because, because I like you and I want your fans to get the very best in my honesty. He said, first he denied it. He said, hey, I'm sorry, um, but it was an oversight. Well, if you're sorry, um, why are you innocent? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Listen, it was malice and forethought. He purposely excluded my father from the Hall of Fame. And um, Randy knew it. My dad knew it. Everybody knew it. And uh, if, if Pat didn't like you, that's the way it was. You know, he had a lot of power. Uh, Vince gave him a lot of power. And he deserved the power because he was a great worker, a great booker. But when they give him the 10 bell salute on his death, and his demise, I want you to say to yourself, he's the man that stopped Randy from finishing his career with Shawn Michaels. And as a fan, wouldn't you have loved to see them at least try to um, approach the Ricky Steamboat match? Right. So you, you used a, a, a strong word. You said malice. Did Pat harbor a, a prior resentment toward Angelo, um, or or was it to to jab Randy at the time going going to the Battle Royal in 1987? I mean, well, I'm going to tell you what. If I say it, I can't prove it, so I might be lying. So let's say let's stick with things I can prove. Um, as soon as I received a copy of the DVD Macho Man: The Randy Savage Story. 
Yeah. I I sent it to you so you could watch it before our interview on the, uh, you know, that we were going to do the second interview we did. Right. And uh, because I wanted you to be abreast of it and, you know, um, I wanted you to have it. I wanted you to see it. Um, what I saw, instead of just saying uh, the obligatory, what a good man everybody is, you know what they said instead? Mm-hmm. Um, he said that uh, nobody saved money like Angelo Papo, talking about what a cheap bastard he was, and talking about how jealous Randy was of Elizabeth. Um, yeah. Like, so instead of just saying nice things, um, he spoke ill of the dead. Now, my father brought a lot of it on himself. After all, he wrestled under the name The Miser toward the end when his body, you know, outlasted his face. He wore a mask to hide his age. And um, I, I was the one that gave him the name The Miser, and he used to make ridiculous heel interviews like... Um, Better to be rich and dead than poor and alive. You know, and, of course, that was his, uh, hey, I go to Kentucky, they're still saying it, you know? I mean, he got over with it. So um, the thing is, everybody says my dad was cheap. I cannot tell you how much this pisses me off because they, my parents came from the Depression. They lived in scarcity so we could live in abundance. Randy and I had an abundant lifestyle. Okay, we had the first color TV in Downers Grove. When Gorgeous George died, my father mailed a $10,000 check to his wife to bury him. And the reason is because Randy, my dad, my dad was ready to quit. And then he was the designated driver for Gorgeous George. And Gorgeous George told him that you're crazy to quit now. He had charisma and he could possibly make it. And then when he saw him several years down the road, he says, why did I tell you, kid? You made it. And, you know, my dad felt um, very indebted because my, my father and my mother were both college graduates from DePaul University. They were going to teach school and get the double paycheck. And uh, Gorgeous George, you know, that was the Gorgeous George made $7 million inside of six years because mm. he was getting 23% of the gate. That was the deal. Wow. Okay. And, uh, yeah, he, he was the man. But he was an alcoholic, and he got several wives and everything. So when he called up um, Betty, he said he didn't know that he had divorced and he had fallen on hard times living on Skid Row in the, um, you know, in the in the home for the destitute. You know, that's how far he dropped. Wow. But my father, and you know, he would keep talking after he made his point, and he had said. The reason I'm doing this is because I wouldn't have made it without Gorgeous George. He encouraged me to, to not quit and to keep going. And plus, you know, he stole a lot of uh, Gorgeous George's idea of how to get himself over as a heel. Right. So your father was... Now, when people talk about him being uh, tight with a buck, are they talking a, as a promoter or were they making fun of him as as a civilian? He brought it on himself because he liked to brag about how cheap he was. Oh, okay. You know, in other words, he liked the attention. Um, and he was, he, his attitude was, if he didn't like it, what it to you? You know, and he had a face like a, I don't know, like a mafia guy. <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, I guess, you know, that was his way, okay? So I don't, I don't know what his motive was. 
All I can tell you is nobody says Bam Bam Bigelow is cheap. And yet, if you look at Wikipedia, he forgot to pay his child support. Well, my father was married 61 years, separated only by death. And let me tell you what, if anything, I was, Randy and I were spoiled to death because we were lavished with gifts. I mentioned photography. I got a Nikon S, Atomic TN, and five lenses, and I got a Durst M600 and larger. And then I mentioned violin. I got an imitation Stradivarius. And I was the one that had to tell my father and mother that I'm no longer interested in photography or music or violin, you know? Right. And, um, you know, so they sold it. That's what kids do. They, uh, they go through phases. And um, I was brought up in leisure. I was brought up in opulence, you know? This is ridiculous that my dad was cheap. What he did was he denied himself a lot of pleasure, self-sacrificing. He brought it home, and we had a 20-by-40-foot swimming pool, and we had the first color TV in Downers Grove, Illinois. And we had a, you know, a colonial home. I mean, what do you want? Yeah. These, these well, guys can't even pay their child support, and they're pointing a finger. When we did oh, our... Man. When I talked to you for the book Father's Blood, and I was getting... Um, I was getting your take on being a father, uh, of course, while you were a worker, but you had a dual perspective, which added uh, to the to your segments of the book, because, of course, you came up second generation. I found most interesting the the Angelo stuff that we talked about. Now, people always go to the to the Randy stuff and, and that's understandable, but. I was fascinated and privileged to be allowed to have a look at how Angelo ran the home, or and Judy running the home, quite honestly, um, in the kayfabe era. So um, the, the impression I was left with and kind of the picture I painted in the book was that um, Angelo, the core of Angelo's message was usually well-intentioned, but um, maybe he could have used a little tact in his in his uh, in his process in giving you the message. Fair to say? Oh yes. You know the thing is, these Catholics pray, pay, and obey. And I was a Catholic till I hit the age of reason. And uh, I'm just glad the priest didn't find me attractive. <laughs> he, um, Angelo. Uh, for those of you that didn't read Father's Blood, first of all, go get it. Uh, secondly. Yeah. Um, really it should be required reading. It should be. Um, it's it covers a bygone era um, where guys had to toe a, a fine line between being dad and you know being the, the vicious heel on television. But the uh, the epilogue to the Angelo Poffo Lanny Poffo story was your willingness to bring him to church every Sunday. I know it sounds like a trivial and trite thing, but your your feelings on religion and Catholicism um, differed greatly than Angelo's, but um, in the end, you put all that aside and kind of served, once again, served the wishes of your father. I don't think that was lost on anyone. Right. Uh, I was just trying to... See, it's a little different when you're a stone's, you're a stone's throw away.
he knew he was uh, on his last hurrah. And I was just trying to, you know, give back some of the kindness that he had given to me. You know, and uh, he certainly deserved it. And he needed some, he needed a ride, you know, because he had quit driving. Actually, his cheese had slipped off his cracker on a diminishing level, okay? He lived to be almost 85. And um, he um, he was losing it, okay? But it gave him comfort to go to church, you know, for whatever reason that was ground into his head when he was young. And, um, you know, I was happy to help him. Although the next time I'm in a Catholic church, I will be horizontal. I do, I do remember you saying that. We're going to hold you to that. Uh, to that. Uh, listen, it should be noted that, that uh, we lost Judy recently, right? Yes, she, she died on June 3rd, 2017. I took care of her for six years after Randy died. My dad was lucky enough to die one year before Randy did. And uh, even though he didn't really have all his marbles, he was all demented. Um, he would have known Randy was gone, you know, so I'm just glad he didn't have to suffer through that. Um, talk about Judy as a partner to Angelo, the promoter, the wrestler, the dad. What does it take? I mean, you, you kind of flippantly talk about other wrestlers on their third, fourth, fifth wives, but was it just a different beast back then? Were, were, were people made differently were, were our constitutions such that we could deal with the, the the bullshit of a crazy business like this more so than today or was it the women that were constructed differently the men what made it work how did judy stay there through the ups and downs of a pro wrestler slash promoter with two wrestling sons and be the rock for so many years well i've heard the expression that hard times make strong people and Good times make weak people, and that's why the the uh, the people raised in the depression were the greatest generation. You know, they're the ones that fought World War Two, and you know, it's considered the best generation of service, valor, and whatever. Um, and oddly enough, my dad did you know was in the Navy, and when he came home, um, he, we were going to graduate at the age of seventeen. And we went to Hawaii for one year instead because my dad's idea in 1967 and 68, we were in Hawaii. And he thought that there was a good chance the war in Vietnam might be over and then we would uh, not be in it. He did that to keep us out of the draft. More, more so for Randy because I'm a Canadian. I was born in Canada and I would have used that routine. Oh, uh, my father did not want us to go to Vietnam and he would have done anything to keep us out of there. Right. So but so more about about uh, Judy's role and and just how through the years she uh, helped Angelo supported. How well did she know the business? I mean, she wasn't kayfabed to how the business worked, right? I mean, she knew what the hell was going on and what They they met, they met in DePaul University and they were both PE majors, uh, physical education majors. And um, they had a friend, Carl Ingstrom, that used to do amateur wrestling and wrestle on what they call smokers. And that's like, you get $5, there'd be some 
some boxing, some wrestling, some professional wrestling, and he got my father involved in that. And then from that, he went to Carl Pagello, who was the promoter. Have you heard of him? Yes. And from there, you know, uh, he got uh, Frankie Tolliver, Lou Tolliver. Uh, he, he went to um, Columbus, Ohio. That's where Macho Man was born. Right. This was all the Midwest now, right? It's a, yeah, Columbus, Ohio, 1952. And then from there, he went to different territories. And in 1954, December 28th, uh, Lanny Popper was born. And uh, oddly enough, tomorrow morning, I'm leaving for Calgary, Edmonton, and Red Deer. And I'm going to spend an extra day, and I'm going to go to Banff National Park and Jasper National Park and Lake Louise because I have a bucket list a mile long. Anyway, if you're asking about my mother, the, the word for her is conscientious. She was the most conscientious I've ever met to a fault. You're still wrestling, aren't you, Lanny? Well, I don't want to wrestle, but I'm a whore. <laughs> so um, if the price is right, I'll be there tonight. But I insist on wrestling in tag team matches or battle royal. Because I just don't... And you know what? I keep saying that's the last time, that's the last time. But um, I can still throw a punch and do a moonsault. And, the, you know, so I'm... But I, I promised myself, trust me, I just saw Dory Funk Jr. wrestle at the age of 79. And um, What did that look like? Well, um, considering he was one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. And a world champion for four years in the NWA, I think it was a little pathetic, but that's just me. Yeah, it's that's always the question. When do you hang it up? You know, musicians. This, you know, is Kiss going to be eighty-five out there walking around in platform heels? I guess you got to kind of know when to. As soon as, you, as soon as you can play soccer with your kids, it's time to go. Right. You know, I wonder if it's funny. You brought up prostitution. A lot of similarities in the two the two fields, right? You, you take your clothes off and lay down for money, basically. But. Um, you know, well, you had a laundry list of things that you will do and won't do. I wonder if that's the same too. Like when you're, you know, when you're a seventy-five-year-old whore, you're like, you know, the the Mongolian basket trick is out, Sonny. I'm laying down and you're doing the work. Right there, you go. Um, uh, podcasting. You also touched the world of podcasting, Lanny, for about five minutes. I I I heard about your show. I started listening to your show. I did your show, and then you took your show away. What happened? Well, I'm a very, very lazy retiree, and uh, I love working with J.P. Varka. He's an excellent person. However, it was more demanding than I thought it would be, okay? And I just kept so many, you know, here's the thing. I don't mean to be uh, fatalistic, but um, I, in 36 years, I'll be 100, and I really, really want to live that long. But there's absolutely no guarantee I'll see tomorrow for anybody, okay? Yeah. So I'm, I'm living each day as if it were my last, and I'm planning to live another 35 years at least, 36 years. I'll be, I'll be um, 65 in December 28th. Okay, what I'm trying to tell you is um, it got to be a lot of work. And I said, listen, I um, thank you for everything, and, you know, he's a great man. Um, he's a perfectionist, and therein lies the, uh, you know, it, it, was, I, it was 20 weeks we did, and I think, plus I had already 
all my friends, you included, had already been interviewed, mm. and um, I didn't want to make new friends. You know, <laughs> it's like, what do you do after that? You know. Yeah, but you're a, you, you've got varied interests. You could have touched on any number of things, and I think it would have been interesting. I mean, that's that's my goal. That's what I do here. It's it's not limited to wrestling. I think that I think you're 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 an interesting guy with interesting perspectives. There are far too many podcasts out there that kind of play the same note over and over again, and every week. And yours kind of made be- beautiful music, if I may say. It sounds like I'm courting you, for God's sakes, but. <laughs> But it, but it did. It was, and he was a good host. What was his name? JP Zarka. Not only a good host, but he's uh, he's an expert audio man, editor. Um, you know, he does every. He, he made it all professional. Right. He's a musician. He's a, he's an incredible talent. But I am very very lazy. Okay, and I I have a bucket list of things I want to do after I go to Bath National Park. I um, I'm lucky enough to go wrestle. And then do it on the side, you know, on the on the tail end of it. But I really, you know, I've got a lot of frequent flyer miles. I really want to go to Cape Town, South Africa. I want to go to Norway to look at the fjords. I want to get on one of those ships, and um, you know, the fjords. And I've got a few things. And I'm afraid that if I wait too long, I may not want to do it in a few years. So I want to do it now while I can. And I don't want to have to be married to a podcast. Right. Well, you don't want to be married to anything. Right? No, no, no. no. That's like, um, you know, I was, I, you know, I listened to Broadway HD. Uh, remember, I told you. Yeah. Um, I was, I was watching Forty Second Street, and they were playing uh, from 1933 Shuffle Off to Buffalo. Uh huh. And like the like the fifth verse was, matrimony is baloney. They'll be getting alimony in a year or so. Off we're gonna shuffle, shuffle off to Buffalo. You know, and I thought, wow. Take him to the cleaners, you know, while he, while he has been though. Oh, it was funny. You, so, you're, uh, the, you're one of the, the biggest opponents of, of marriage, the most vocal opponents of marriage. You could do uh, the, the whole, you know what Wayne Dyer has done for, like, uh, self-help. You could you could do that to, to steer any young folk, uh, hand-holding folk in love away from the altar. You'd be very convincing in print. Well, you know, I have a friend that's going to get married, and I told him, um, to marry or not to marry, in 10 years, you'll regret both decisions. You know, you'll, if you don't get married, you wish you had. If you get married, you wish you hadn't. Right. You know, so uh, you can't win. It's a no-win proposition. And um, the thing is, I know some happily married people, and good for them. But um, I'm not going to say yes, dear, yeah. the rest of my life. You well, know, um, you I may- only got... You may meet the right woman, Len. You may meet the right woman who, who would change it all, where you don't have to be, you know, in an indentured servitude situation. You, you, it could happen. Stay open-minded. You're, 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 a, you're a catch, for God's sake. You, 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 you're... Believe it or not, I just met the right one. Uh, you want to say Buenos Aires? Where was it? Hello, Buenos Aires. How are you? He only knows Cocina. Cocina. Sean you you guys aren't in bed right now, are you? This isn't going to turn into one of those shows. This isn't Howard Stern, you know. No, this is, we are we are on the brink. We are uh, right before the disappointment has has come on our both of our spaces. So, um, but the thing is, I met this wonderful girl. She is from 
uh, Bogota, Colombia, and I've been to Medellin, so we have this in common, and we're having a good, good time. Now, so, wow, this is shocking. This is the revelation of the year right here. Are you in love, Lanny Poffo? Uh, mi corazón is, uh, is going, right? Mi corazón. Is, uh, what were you saying about uh, Cuando Caliente el Sol? Sing a little. Cuando calienta el sol aquí en la playa, siento tu pecho vibrar cerca de mí. Es tu palpitar. The hell is going on? Es tu cara, es tu cuerpo, son tus besos. Me estremezco. Oh. Cuando calienta el sol, oh, with every beat of your heart. Anyway, Lanny, that's not the housekeeper that just came in the room to clean, right? You, you don't have to get out now, do you? He comes tomorrow, and I, I don't, uh, we don't, um, you ever heard the expression, don't fuck the home? Yeah. Now, this is, yeah. so this is a young lady you met in, in Bogota? No, no, this is, uh, she's a friend of my neighbor's, oh. um, and uh, she introduced us, and uh, I'll tell you what, she is, I uh, She's a mujer mus, mus, Wow, Lanny, yeah. listen to you. Yeah, she's a very fine lady, oh. and uh, that means that means I'm gonna get to know her before we use an abuse, right? Listen, I'm gonna make a prediction right now. I've never heard you we're like that. Walking down that aisle. I've never heard you like this. Yes, there's the, the, the birds are tweeting. My goodness. Well, listen, keep us posted. <laughs> okay. Good luck. Get back to whatever. I feel like I interrupted you two. You can get back no, to. No, no. Listen, listen. Um, I here's the re- I want to say something to you. Do not blush. Uh-huh. Um, people say thank you for putting Randy in the Hall of Fame, and I said don't thank me. Thank Sean Oliver, because when you first gave me this advice, I said the hell with him. What does he know? And then it preyed on my thank heart. You. Right. And it took me. It took me a while, but you made an impression on me. And I thought to myself, hey, Randy was a great man and a good man, but he wasn't always right. And the thing is, this isn't about the WWE or the promoter or anybody except the wrestling fan. Sean, you represent the wrestling fan. You are the conduit between the wrestler and the fan. And you care about the fans, don't you? Of course. I care about everybody. Well, I care about the fans, too, because everything that I have, everything that I am, is because of the fans. Well, but you're forgetting and something, that, too, is is that I was that kid at the Meadowlands standing there when, when Randy would climb the turnbuckle. And, and it was a firsthand thing. I You know, I didn't come at this from a... You know, an intellectual. I, I was emotionally connected to what I saw Randy do and what I felt Randy do as as a fan myself. So it was an easy thing for me to say. I get far too much credit from you, Lanny. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you, you make an impression, and you're a little bit vague, and you're you know you're subtle, okay. But the thing is, um, I got depressed about it because I turned down Randy's Hall of Fame thing from John Laurinaitis. And then I got a call from Mark Ferrano and he invited me to go to New Orleans to be interviewed by the WWE Network. And I said, by the way, I've changed my mind. I want Randy in the Hall of Fame by himself. And he says, oh my God, oh my God, I'll call you back, I'll call you back. And uh, about an hour later, he said, 
you know, uh, we're going to put him in, but not this year because we don't want two posthumous inductees. It was Paul Bearer. You know, he was going to be. Um, Paul Bearer was going to go in in uh, New Orleans. Right. And then uh, along with um, Ultimate Warrior and things. And um, so then uh, I had to keep faith until San Jose in 2015, and I did. And, you know, when the fans say, thank you for putting him in the Hall of Fame, I say, thank Sean Oliver, because you planted the seed in my little brain, and it germinated, and I said, I can't live with anything else than putting him in. Well, I appreciate that, and it was the, it was the right move, and I hope you feel that in your heart of hearts. It was a very difficult move, but I know that it's right because the fans are delighted, and they waited too long for Bruno. He died before... Um, I mean, his fans died before they could enjoy it. And it, nobody deserved the Hall of Fame more than Randy and Bruno. They were overqualified. They deserved a separate wing in there. So that's the way I feel about it. You know, that, that Pat Patterson phone call could have come a little bit before that day, don't you think? I mean, obviously, if he saw, if he, if he, if he knew about that story, then he saw our show, which preceded Randy being in the Hall of Fame by what, like three years or something. He could have made that fucking phone call when he watched that video. You know something, Pat is a very fortunate man. First of all, before we start knocking him, let me just say, in 1967, my my brother, my father, myself, my mother, we saw Pat Patterson and Ray Stevens versus Pedro Morales and Pepper Gomez. And I promise you, Sean, it was the greatest tag match I had ever seen up until that point. Oh, well, yeah, we're and not it, shitting on his talent. He was a talented guy, no question. Yes, and he's got a nice personality, especially compared to Thunderbolt, I mean, uh, to uh, Chief J. Strongbow, who is a two-faced, miserable personality. Um, he's very good for the business. But when Randy had an idea, you know, Randy was OCD about Buddy Rogers versus Pat O'Connor. Have you ever seen that match? No. Well, as soon as we're done talking, go on YouTube and watch Buddy Rogers versus Pat O'Connor. And in 1961, that was the greatest match ever done, ever. And Randy was very excited about that match. He wanted to top it. And he had an opportunity to top it with Ricky Steamboat. And he said, behind Ricky Stable's back, I think I found my pedal pony. Oh, And, right. you know, you have to have an opponent. You can't do it by yourself. I, I was just watching an interview on YouTube with Ginger Rogers. And they said, you made 10 movies with the greatest dancer in the world, Fred Astaire. And she said, listen, I did every step he did except backward and in high heels. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, it takes two to tangle. So, my point Literally. is, Randy had a vision. The, it, the Steamboat Savage match ruined his life because he could never top it. Never, ever top it. He had raised the bar too high. So, what happened? He, he wanted to finish his career with Shawn Michaels, not do a Montreal screw job, put him over right in the middle, you know, the, the stipulation was Shawn Michaels shaves his head or Randy loses his career and goes on the uh, microphone to do the color commentary. In other words, stays in the WWE, but not as a wrestler. Mm -hmm. And they said, we're having a youth movement. 
And um, so it insulted Randy. And instead of beating up Pat Patterson and Jay Strongbow, which he would have rather done, <laughs> um, after all those years of, uh, you know, of them uh, abusing their power, what he does is calls up WCW, and then he goes to Raleigh, North Carolina, and gets Goodmark Foods, uh, the parent company of Slim Jim. Yeah. To uninvest with uh, Vince and go to Ted Turner to the tune of $750,000 a year for the contract. That was the unforgivable blow, wasn't it? Oh, that was bad. Yeah. And then, um, because, you know, I like Vince. Vince, I'm very appreciative. But he's a Roman, and he likes to win them all. So so then he goes to... Um, he goes to WCW, and, he's, and he manages to get me a contract of Gorgeous George, which I waited by the phone and never got to wrestle. Right. But, you know, and I, I wasn't raised to be a Walter recipient, but the thing is, they were making $750,000 a year in Slim Jim money. Yeah. Plus, Randy cut himself a very handsome deal himself. And I'll tell you something else, and I'm not telling tales out of school. Randy had been recently divorced and separated from a lot of his own money. So he had hit rock bottom, mm. and he, he bounced back with a vengeance. Was, did Elizabeth uh, take him to the cleaners? Yes. Oh. Hey, the story's the same. The names and faces have changed. Boy meets girl. Boy marries girl. Girl hires divorce lawyer. Takes boy to cleaners. Girl dies of overdose. Boy dies of heart attack. Nobody learns. The same thing happening to new people. Mm. Well, I don't want to end on a downer, Lanny. I, um, congratulations to uh, to you for going to the national. Where the hell are you going tomorrow? The national park. Which one is that? Okay, um, I'm going to Edmonton, and then I'm going to Calgary, and then I'm going to Red Deer, and then I've got a day off. And they promised me they would. Uh, somebody has a girlfriend that works for Banff National Park. And uh, I'm going to Banff, Jasper, and Lake Louise, and uh, I'm going to send you pictures. And I'll tell you, Sean, you know something? I want to. I don't want to get emotional. Oh. Um, I've got a lot of friends. I don't need more friends. Um, you are my brother because I don't have a brother anymore, and I don't need friends. I need family. I want you to know that I am your brother and you are mine. And if you ever need a favor. Don't look twice. I'm here. Get me booked in Jasper. I could I could do a, a basic oh, okay. bump. All right. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'll send you pictures, and if you like it, let's do it. Okay. All right, my man. Thank you much. Congratulations to you and your lovely lady. Get back in the shower now. Listen, if you need to last, because she sounds very sexy. If you need to last, if you got to add a little time. Play that Pepper Gomez and Pat Patterson match in your mind a little bit. You'll go an extra 15, 20 minutes. Hey, you guys enjoying the show as much as you tell me you are on Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else? Good. Be a patron of this show. Go to patreon.com slash podcast. Put a couple of bucks where your mouth is. You can be considered a co-creator with me. I'll give you a shout-out on the air. Go to patreon.com slash podcast. Jesus Christ, Lanny was coming unglued. Oh, it was, it was like watching the end of On Golden Pond or something.
Oh, he's done for. He's done. Oh, I hope he doesn't lose his edge. Hope he doesn't lose his edge. Hope he doesn't forget a few things. He used to say, you know what I'm doing tonight? Whatever I want. I don't know if that's going to happen anymore. He sounds hooked. Hope he takes it slow. I wish them the best. Listen, you don't want to go through life alone. No one can go through life alone. I was, gonna, I, I was telling Lanny, I see love in his future. And then uh, Maria Conchita Alonso begins serenading on the telephone. Jesus Christ. We get to some of your questions here. Some of the things you were asking. Uh, do you actually believe, this is from Dylan. He says, do you actually believe most of what Vince Russo says, or is it mostly for laughs? Listen, I don't give a fat rat's ass who's telling the truth and who's lying. I don't see any talk show host that sits there with a lie detector. I want entertainment. If you're going to come on and be entertaining, you maybe be a, be a little bit of a rabble rouser. That's fine. Come on, half the people I've spoken to. You know how many people claim to be the one to have brought Hulk Hogan to WCW? Watch all of our program. Give me the count. I don't know what we're at now. Are we at five? Watch and watch the shows and tell me. That's truth, truth, and pro wrestling. I, I don't. I don't know that that they're bedmates. Uh, Connor Nelson, great question. Have you adapted wrestling terminology into everyday life to describe things? P.S. Keep up the good work. This That is the height of markness. Markdom, let's call it. When you're talking about your girlfriend or your wife who wouldn't give you any, and you say, yeah, I wanted to do the, I wanted to do the job last night, but she wouldn't. You're my fucking hero. You're my hero. When your wife won't do the job. The height of that was the Iron Sheik referring to the man who murdered his daughter as a jabroni. Good God. Yeah, but those are great. Those moments where you can work. Even even my wife, who, who knows nothing about wrestling, I'm fairly certain despises it. It, it looks at me quizzically for what I've done for the last 12 years. She, she she uses the word gimmick. She's throwing the word gimmick around. She's caught up. I don't th- I don't think she's ever referred to anything as being over. I don't th- I don't think she's I don't think she's told me that uh, the girl she works with has heat with her. But she's definitely said, yeah, that little gimmick. Use that little gimmick on the thing. So that's I mean that's a bit of a victory. If you can get, you know, someone who dislikes wrestling. Like my lovely wife to say gimmick. That's pretty good. Ah, it's just so many here. Chris Starr, return on investment wise. You can shoot, you can shoot interview anyone ever, dead or alive, on any topic or Casey structure. Who do you choose? I'd love a Benoit timeline or a Mike Awesome you shoot. Yeah, of course. I mean, the people that I'd be interested to talk to are gone. Dusty Rhodes for guest booker. Uh, Mike Awesome, you shoot? I don't know. There are a lot of people that I would that I would put on you shoot. The fans would have had a, such a good time with. 
Imagine a Pillman you shoot. Imagine a fucking Brian Pillman you shoot. It would have been amazing. Jason Worthing. Jason was one of the original kayfabe commandos, by the way. Um, aside from Honky Tonks, Vodka, and Valentine's Red Wine, what were some other goodies talent asked for while filming with KC? Well, if I go down the line, let's see. I just referenced this uh, with Hornswoggle. Tito's Vodka was his gimmick. Um, Harley Race was a Bud Light guy. Um Hacksaw Duggan wanted vodka and Coke, I think was his thing. Um, I don't know. Those are the ones that jump out at me right away. Uh, Bobby Scott, where does Bret Hart rank on best ever? Well, you know, my feelings on Bret are in the ring as just strictly physical as a technician, believability, uh, bump taking, great. One of the greats. He just he just he moved like a wrestler. He moved like a fighter, like a warrior. That's one of those intangibles, man. People walk around. They just don't move like a wrestler. And he did. He was great. Everything was uh, executed perfectly. Um, however, there was just that X factor on the mic that I think was absent. I thought what Brett did in the ring was tremendous. I mean, he his body probably took a, a hellacious toll. I mean, he took some of the most incredible bumps. Those those turnbuckle whips that he would take uh, chest first were hellacious. Hellacia. If I'm using the Tony Atlas Dictionary. There was a hellacia bump. Um... But it's just it's just that microphone thing, man, and it's just an evil monster that just does that. And you could have him say the same words that Roddy Piper says, and we're just going to fall into one more so than the other. He just did not come through the TV set. Now, unfortunately, in his era, it was 50% of the game. I mean, he's still considered probably one of the best ever, so what the fuck do I know? But if you're asking me, my opinion, great technician, great look, uh, great physique, good lifestyle choices, stayed clean, wasn't fucking around with anything, wasn't going to end up in the headlines with, you know, two pounds of blow in his suitcase at the airport. I mean, that's a big deal, too. you got to think about it. When you're, when you're a promoter, you want guys who are going to stay out of trouble. Okay, it's an important thing. So that that's value. That's, there's a real value to that, and, and Brett brought that also because of his he was a clean liver, with a clean liver. Um, but it's just, it just the, the one thing I think he was lacking was some of that charisma and the ability to come through the lens. Chris Starr also asks, "How long did it take you not to think of yourself as one of the motel guys?" Big fan of the first book and love that quote. You can go read that at Kayfabe, stories you're not supposed to hear from a professional wrestling production company owner. Number one bestseller on the Amazon wrestling category for about 19 months. I'd fall off every once in a while. I knocked myself off twice with Father's Blood and the business of Kayfabe, but it always rose back to the top. I don't know how it did it. Almost two years. For that, I thank you and me because I wrote the damn thing. So, you know, there must have been some magic in it. But um, one of the motel guys, what he's talking about was when we first got started, 
and we we were doing MP3 commentaries, the audios that we were selling. We set up in a hotel room to, to record our first, uh, Honky Tonk and Greg Valentine. And they were in town working for somebody else, and we wanted to avoid detection so as not to have to pay any promoting fees. And we cut separate deals with them behind the promoter's back. And we were like, listen, we're going to be set up in room 27 in the hotel. After they drop you off and you go in your room, just come back down. And then word got out that there were these guys setting up to do these MP3 recordings and just what the fuck was that. And we became known as the motel guys in the circle when uh, leading up to the uh, the Valentine and Honky Tonk uh, shoot. But that was a when did we I you know, I know that's a really good question because when did I feel like I was not on the outside looking in? There definitely came a time where we moved to the inside, when people were calling us and talent knew us already and we were being offered people. So it did happen probably shortly after we went to video, really. Once we started guest booker and you shoot within the first year. I mean it went crazy. We were growing revenue like 35% a year for the first three or four years. And we became part of that inner circle that that workers talked to us, sat with us off camera as they would on camera and were not fearful. There, There's always that. When they don't know you, there is always that that fear. There's always that trepidation. They don't want to open up. And they're the most guarded people in the world, professional wrestlers. Old school. Today, it's, you know, they're characters and they want to be actors and, you know, record country albums or whatever. Back then, they were so guarded. So to have been let in was was a special thing. And in it's all about trust. They knew that we were reliable. They knew that we weren't there to fuck them. We weren't there to make them look bad. They knew they'd get good. They'd get good press from reviews of our shows, being on our shows. They'd get clips put all over YouTube by fans, and people would come up to them all the time. So once it started to look good for them, and they started to trust us. That's when we weren't just the motel guys and we were part of the business. All right, listen. There's only so much fun to be had in one day. Lanny Poffo's out pick, fucking picking out China patterns, for Christ's sake. Who would have thunk it? He said he'd never be back in, in a church until he was uh, face up in a coffin. I wonder, though. I wonder now if the nuptials will be exchanged at some uh, some large Catholic cathedral down in Florida. Going to have to keep our eyes on that. We'll cover that live. I better get an invite. Lanny, come on. You're going to invite me, right? said such wonderful things about me. I better go to that damn wedding. Um, this has been a production of Sean Oliver Media. Copyright 2019 music by the great Kevin McLeod. Licensed by Creative Commons Attribution License. We're going to catch you next time. So make sure you come back.